You're listening to the Technology for Mindfulness podcast, episode 78, hosted by me, Robert Plotkin. Today, I'm going to be speaking with Kayla Kazan, meditation teacher and founder and CEO of Peak Wellness, corporate mindfulness training. Peak Wellness offers in-person training and virtual meditation classes to support young professionals to manage stress, reduce burnout, and increase the ability to focus and improve productivity. You can find out more about Kayla at peakwellnessco.com. And head on over to our site at technologyformindfulness.com for information and tips about how to be more focused, productive, creative, and happy using technology. And sign up for our mailing list to receive a free guide on how to find balance and manage your technology use with mindfulness. I'm extremely pleased to welcome Kayla Kazan to the Technology for Mindfulness podcast. In the interview that you're about to hear with Kayla Kazan, you'll hear her talk about the corporate mindfulness training that she does through her company, Peak Wellness. And usually I give a tip or a pointer that's relevant to the interview. This time I'm not going to give a pointer so much as an observation about mindfulness in the workplace lately in the context of the lockdown or stay-at-home orders under covid I've been doing tons of Zoom meetings with people in the business context, meetings with clients, with prospects, with colleagues, and doing networking meetings with large groups, one-on-one. And I'm sure you've noticed this as well. With everyone working at home, the lines are blurring between the home and the workplace on those video calls, usually by Zoom, but whatever platform they happen to be. I've got a virtual background here. Why? I like to create more of a boundary between my home and my workplace so that you're not seeing the clutter and everything else that might be behind me. Other people do that. Sometimes people, though, are in their bedroom or other home office and you see the stuff behind them. Kids wander in and out of the room. Dogs and cats wander in and out of the room. What it reminds me of is in mindfulness practice, how we learn to just notice how things unfold, learn to observe how little control we often have over events outside us and even within us, our own thoughts and feelings that arise. We're not really necessarily in control of them. And in a physical workplace, in an office, we often do have more control over the environment. Kids won't be walking in and out. The dogs won't be walking in and out. We can set things up in a certain way to look professional. And what I've just been observing is the way in which this lack of ability to control the environment working from home is just showing all of us what our experience is really like with lack of clear boundaries as much as we may try. And I find it's really humanizing people. We're all getting to see each other in a way that's certainly more vulnerable and human than we often would in a business context. And there's something very refreshing about it, even though it can also be scary when it's me who's exposing myself in a way that I wouldn't normally want to in a business context. It can be irritating when it happens to you, when your cat walks in front of the screen or something like that. But I've just found an incredible amount of compassion from people for each other because everyone is in the same boat 
I, I've just really been heartened by the extent to which people are forgiving of this lack of control that we're having. And people are forgiving with schedules slipping, with needing to drop out of meetings and pop back in to attend to things at home. So these are just a bunch of observations about how things are different. If you practice mindfulness, you can practice it in the moment in your workday while you're on online meetings and see what you notice that's different without necessarily judging it, but just see what's different and see if there's any uh, silver lining, especially to the aspects that you might find frustrating or irritating, like those intrusions, so to speak, from your home. Is there a silver lining to it? Is it, is it something that, as irritating as it may be, that shows a human side of you that will enable you to connect better as a person with the people that you're meeting with? Just some observations. You're going to hear a lot more from Kayla Kazan in the upcoming interview. And obviously, you can learn a lot more from her through the online meditation and mindfulness courses that she offers to corporations through Peak Wellness. Hope you enjoyed the interview. Hi, Kayla, and welcome to the Technology for Mindfulness podcast. Hi, Robert. Thanks for having me. I am glad to have you on to talk to people about corporate mindfulness training that you do, uh, both in general and perhaps how things have changed in the wake of COVID. But before we get into that, I'm curious to know what motivated you to launch your business and to focus on corporate mindfulness training? Yeah, for sure. Thank you for asking. I'll attempt to give you a short answer. I, I can talk forever on this, but... Peak Wellness, for the most part, came out of just a service that I felt like I really could have used when I started working. So when I joined right after university started, kind of moved to Toronto and I was working kind of corporate-ish type lifestyle. And then I switched into tech. I was working at a tech startup. I found them both a little stressful in different ways, but I was very, very lucky to be working on a very small team. And about six months into working with this company, I ended up having pretty unrelated, but almost a full-fledged nervous breakdown at work. I wouldn't recommend it if you can avoid it, especially uh, in the office. But yeah, it was a very unexpected, no sort of nothing leading up to it in particular at that time. So I was off work. First, I was on short-term disability. Then I was on long-term disability. I spent almost about an entire year off work. And in that time, I was diagnosed with bipolar disorder. That was kind of the main thing going on. But I didn't really know it at the time, but it did give me this chance to recalibrate, to learn a little bit more about myself, my mental health, things I didn't know anything about prior mm -hmm. to this. And so I was very lucky to have an extremely supportive company. They wanted me to come back. They, they let me know they wanted me to come back. And so they held that job for me for a full year. Again, an incredibly supportive group of people. And I worked at that company for five more years. And I only wow. left to start Peak Wellness. And that is just... This is my baby. So it started off as just me teaching corporate wellness. Mindfulness was such a powerful tool for me in terms of... Obviously not the only therapy at play, but it really did. It taught me a lot about my mental health and helped me to manage my moods and everything. And so when I did get back to work, some of these tools and little, I guess, 
mindfulness tricks that I had picked up. I was able to just teach those to a couple friends who mm-hmm. mental illness or not, it just seemed like everyone is operating at such a high stress level. And so when this was really valuable to them, like a breathing technique or even just journaling prompt, I think that's when I knew that there was a market here and, and particularly the corporate market was being a little underserved. Yeah. Yeah. So mindfulness was something that you got introduced to during this period of time. Tell us a little bit about that. I mean, how did you get turned on to it and how maybe more specifically did it help you? Yeah, absolutely. So it was, I tell my clients as well, we've always got a couple skeptics in the room and that used to be me. And so it was something that was recommended to me by, you know, four or five professionals before I started to think of it seriously. And my first introduction, you may be familiar with a program called MBCT. So Mindfulness-Based Cognitive Therapy. It's kind of the psychiatric sister of MBSR, which is obviously a very popular program. And so MBCT Cognitive Therapy in general is really related to some of the depressive symptoms I had. So that was my first kind of treatment. That's a very... uh, kind of like a short-term eight weeks, but very intensive program. And that was my first introduction formally. Wow. Wow. And then you obviously decide to go on and get training as a teacher or trainer. Yeah. Yeah. I've had the opportunity to take a number of courses as a participant and then also as a facilitator. MBSR, I would recommend to anyone. Um, They obviously say, you know, you have to be pretty stressed, but I think you can find someone who's pretty stressed pretty easily. And so that was a great program for me as a participant. And then I've been able to work through, yeah, a couple different programs. Mindfulness Without Borders is a great program if you want to become a facilitator. And then I did a whole certificate. The University of Toronto um, actually has a really cool mindfulness program. So I've been able to pick up little pieces here and there. And what is it about uh, corporations? You said that you thought people there were being underserved or that there was an, a need there that wasn't being met. You know, what, what was it that you found specifically about that environment where there was this need? Yeah, I think it's a combination of um, perhaps kind of the lifestyle that I was in at the time, especially I think younger people entering the workforce without much of a cognitive toolkit to deal with some of the stresses, again, mental illness or not, just the stresses of working, burnout, looking for signs of burnout or exhaustion. I mean, I never learned that in school. That was nothing I really thought could happen to me. And so just a little more education around that in general. We also know that corporations are paying way more attention to the mental health of their employees, especially now. So the timing was just a perfect fit. Yeah. Yeah. And when did you launch? Uh, And I'm curious to know about the transition from in-person to online since now everything's online. I last few episodes, I've been saying the date on which we're recording because things are changing so rapidly. It's May 21st, 2020 right now. Uh, I'm in central Massachusetts. We're still pretty much stay at home, you know, in isolation at the moment. Uh, Where are you and what's your current uh, COVID situation? Yeah, you know what? I am in the prairies in Canada, so I'm not sure if your audience will recognize the city name is Regina, the province name is Saskatchewan. I know it sounds like I made them both up, but I'm just north of um, North Dakota here. Yeah. So, I mean, your business has gone through, I assume, a transition then from doing in-person courses to all online. So tell us a little bit about, you know, what it was like originally and maybe the benefits of it and then challenges and maybe opportunities of the current uh, online world. 
Yeah, absolutely. So we had been in business formally for about a year and a half now. And yeah, like you said, our primary service, at least in the beginning, was on-site training. A lot of companies, especially in big cities, are bringing in a number of just different corporate wellness topics, whether that is nutrition, yoga, mindfulness is where we started. We've had the opportunity to branch out a little bit more now, but we have facilitators that we say are trained in the peak technique in a number of different cities across North America. But as this kind of work from home shift started, and and in some ways it feels like it happened overnight, we had a couple virtual clients just in general. It would be a good match for a company that has a pretty dispersed team. So I was already facilitating two clients in that sense. So very lucky to have the infrastructure set up, the tech set up already, and kind of an understanding of how to do that. And then yeah, quite literally, I mean, within a week, we switched everyone to virtual. And so not without some small technical difficulties, of course, and some adjustments, but we're operating 100% virtually right now. So, I mean, there's a few things I'm curious about. One is what are the new mental health stress challenges that people are facing at work and how are you able to help them? Yeah, absolutely. So we actually were able to pretty quickly, we worked with one major employer, one big partner, and they helped us really figure out the needs of their organization very quickly. They have about 7,000 employees. So that was such a great sample set. Um, A lot of our customers are smaller than that. So in working with them, we worked very closely together to kind of figure out what the main pillars of, you know, what's the most important information we could give right now. We obviously have the typical kind of mindfulness 101 where we would Mm -hmm. normally start with an organization, but I identified four things. So stress management, stress reduction, that was um, something that really jumped out, I think, to a lot of people right away. Staying connected while apart, which is something that you've talked about with a couple of your guests now. We call one kind of power of positive thinking, resilience, gratitude. And then also, I think we didn't really have much formally in the way of this topic, but we were able to really build something out quite quickly in the space of reducing worry or managing worry, um, which seemed to really spike for a lot of people, myself included. And so that was something that we dove into a little deeper that we actually didn't offer prior to this. I'm curious if you could give us an example or a taste of, of one or two of those, maybe on the reducing worry, which you mentioned, of course, has arisen for many of us. Yeah, absolutely. So this was almost, I mean, we could have taken it a hundred different ways, as you can imagine. So many, I think, basic mindfulness techniques work towards this. The major concept there would just be reframing. So helping people get some of these worries out of their head and on paper. I'm a big fan of journaling in general. So we always try and include something like that, but helping people kind of categorize their worries a little bit, get them into something manageable. I say all the time, I'm sure our clients are sick of it, that we we want a framework. We always want a framework or some sort of tool to work with. And so we provide a framework for reframing worries, kind of categorizing worries. And then we provide kind of a meditation, guided meditation that goes hand in hand with that. And what about that you mentioned staying connected while apart? As you said, I've focused on that. I've done some webinars on it. It's something that people, I think, specifically who weren't working from home before might find particularly challenging. And for all of us, even those of us who were working from home frequently, you know, this extent of physical separation is very extreme. So what, what is an example or two of something that you've been offering to people to help them deal with this separation? 
Yeah. And I just listened to your um, webinar on kind of the tips and tricks for working from home. It's really valuable. Even myself, I've been working from home a little bit for a year or two, but to have someone with your extensive experience working from home, a lot of overlap there. So you talked about making physical barriers, we call it very similar, kind of like a worry-free zone. So trying to help people build this place in their home that's not work, it's not their home life, it's an area. And we tell our clients who have kids, they've got kids, we call them tiny employees, but the new people kind of bouncing off the walls and around the house, you know, that might only be a chair for you or your pantry, whatever that space is. But trying to find a space that you can dedicate to just having a little bit of calm. In terms of staying connected, we have two separate audiences. So we'll speak to leaders on ways they can support their employees in staying connected. Something that you mentioned as well that I think is really important that we speak about when we're talking to leaders is just giving permission to their employees to, you know, take this wellness class, take the afternoon off if you need it, join in on this Zoom call if you would like. And so giving a lot of options Mm. to your employees and also, of course, permission to, yeah, you know, take some time for yourself. Don't be working crazy hours. This is, of course, a marathon, not a sprint. And so that's the message to leaders. To employees, we encourage people to reach out. Um, I think you called it like a water cooler type email. So the same kind of thing. We just say, you know, write some emails that aren't just about work. And maybe it's not an email, maybe it's a text message or a conversation on Slack, but just make sure that we don't become 100% about work because that's not what we would do in a normal work environment. So finding that balance as well. It's interesting that you say how important it is for people to pay attention to not being constantly working. I remember when People started staying at home. There was a lot of hope that people would be working less. And I remember, you know, anticipating that without a commute, with, you know, without a lot of that movement around it, there, there could be a tendency to just be working nonstop at a device because there aren't those natural breaks built in or natural opportunities to be engaging in non-work kind of interactions with people. So it sounds like you found that as well and are having to train people to consciously introduce breaks into their day so they're just not sitting at the computer for 12 hours straight. Yeah, absolutely. And we have had the pleasure, most of our clients do run their sessions during the workday. That's definitely our preference, especially if you can give someone a break around that two o'clock, three o'clock when energy levels in general are always dipping, but especially now. Yeah. I mean, I would echo a lot of the advice that you gave as well, finding those that hard end time. So setting that for yourself at the end of the day, any type of structure, what time you start work, what time you have lunch, things like that. I do find, I think some people have been able to set that boundary pretty easily or naturally that they're mimicking what they do at work. But I would say based on our own surveying, people are actually working longer and perhaps as well. And I've noticed this myself working longer, but not feeling as So you're getting more done. And so we try to work with clients to kind of tighten up that time and do more focus work, but with also a little bit of kind of self-compassion in there, understanding that this is an an adjustment for anybody. And like you said, you could have been working from home for a decade, but this is, you know, it's uncharted territory. So we do try and encourage that. I think a lot of people aren't wanting to admit that there's a decrease in productivity. You know, that I've spoken to a lot of people who said they feel like they're working at like 70 or 80% capacity. Mm-hmm. Now they, that might be longer hours, 
But like you said, they're getting less done per hour. And it could be just stress. It could be other responsibilities, caring for children or homeschooling or parents or other kinds of chores. It could be all kinds of reasons. But yeah, I mean, uh, I think a lot of people are finding that they're not getting as much done per hour. And I totally agree with you about self-compassion. Just we need to be easy on ourselves and accept that that's the reality. I mean, I've been, I've been pleased to find that many people, because so many of us are in the same boat, are generally understanding about perhaps being less responsive than, than in the past. Yeah, I do think, yeah, this has, um, the transition has affected everyone. And so it's not just ACE, obviously different groups are affected at different capacity, but I think you're right that, you know, you might be stuck at home with some caregiving duties and your boss might be as well. But even if there's just recognizing and I guess honoring those differences between each individual. And what about teams? You know, we've spoken about individuals so far, but now we have many teams all working remotely from each other in isolation, very different than when working uh, together at a workplace. What kind of work have you done to help uh, teams adapt to working remotely and, uh, from each other? Similar work kind of along the lines of staying connected. We work with um, clients to do kind of what we would call, I guess, mindful listening exercises, but anything around the lines of mindful listening, communication. And also, I think we've had the opportunity to build a little bit of that virtual corporate culture in when we are able to provide a service like chair yoga to a client or something like that. So although they are still there in their own chairs in their own homes, I do think there's a sense of interconnectivity there, just like a normal team building exercise, even if you're in the office. So I would say those main pillars are mindful listening, mindful communication, and this kind of an effort to keep the team alive, so to speak. Yeah. And, and what are there any other perhaps uh, unexpected challenges that you've heard from, from companies or teams, individuals, things that they've been facing? Yeah, that would be perhaps surprising to people uh, that you've worked on helping them with. Yeah, I definitely would say we saw a, in the last, again, this is maybe only six, eight weeks, we've seen in our surveying and the polls that we're able to do, people's, uh, I don't know if you want to call it ambition or just their uh, motivation has definitely felt, at least I can only describe it as a roller coaster. And so you spoke about this as well, but in the beginning, right out of the gate, you know, I'm going to be more productive than ever. This is when I'm going to exercise. I'm going to learn a new language, whatever that was. And I think social media really put a big emphasis on this in the beginning. And and there was a little bit of maybe a novelty, some adrenaline around this idea. And then I've seen what we would Again, it's a little different for everybody, but just after that, almost the opposite. So as if it had to balance itself out, just people feeling like they have no separation at home between their home and work, that they're having trouble. They feel exhausted despite not really doing much physical activity. And so what I would say, it's perhaps not a surprise now, but at the time, I think organizations were really surprised to see how quickly that changed. So that motivation, you know, we're, we're doing it, we're a virtual team, we can pull it off. And then just dealing with those natural ebbs and flows, and it's not exactly standardized. So one person on your team can still be doing their beach body workouts. And then a week later, there's a dip in the motivation. And so I think, yeah, it's put a, a strain on a lot of teams in trying to balance out um, just what this circumstance has brought us. Yeah. 
So I'm curious, you know, for a company that's looking to address the problems that you you uh, help companies with, stress, disconnection amongst people, what would be kind of a basic offering that you provide as an introduction to help out a company in that situation? Yeah, our most popular programs right now definitely have been if a corporation's looking for kind of a one-off, so something like in the real world, which would have been more of like a lunch and learn on-site type training. That's something that's just tried and true. We've been doing that forever. And then this kind of what we would call our COVID response type content is that we work four weeks. Generally, we advise half an hour per week. This is mainly a guided meditation with a little bit of a toolkit in there. That has been definitely the most palatable for organizations um, right off the bat. And I think as people are looking to create that COVID response, those resources, it's something that we can get started on right away, which has really mm-hmm. helped. I think we're going to see over the next couple of weeks and months, just more and more resources being put out there for employees in general. What we've seen, and this is outside of our category or our segment, but increases in just spending in terms of mental health, corporate wellness, increasing, at least here in Canada, a lot of adjustments to what is covered in terms of mental health under some insurance policies and things like that. Even just what I would call like a compassionate policy and adding in some of these HR processes to support your team members, no matter what their scenario is right now. And interestingly, um, we've heard a little bit of both. So I did do a webinar where we talked about how you could launch this program for your company. And uh, one of the attendees said, like, if I take this to my boss, my boss will laugh in my face. And (laughs) that's not obviously as the business owner, that's not what you want to hear right now. But a lot of people were quick to respond saying, you know what, this is the one of the most cost effective options. And so if you have to build that business case, we really center on the ability to reach people in their homes, the mission of the company was always to create as many mindful offices as possible. And now we just consider that mindful home offices. And so there is a little bit of a campaign that might need to happen, especially if you're talking upwards. So if you are a grassroots, you'd like to do some sort of corporate wellness and get this approved by management. But generally we have seen, it's just a one way to support your employees. It's not going to be the best way for everyone, but giving those options has really, really helped out. What at a high level would you say we in the mindfulness world would hate to give a business case for <laughs> mindfulness, but what would you say the business case is to a decision maker at a company about adopting a, a, a mindfulness program such as yours? Yeah, absolutely. I think we would, in the past, we would have really looked to and pointed to some of those more long-term stats. So, you know, by putting in this program for three, six months, you're really supporting the mental health of your employees. Um, You could argue there are some productivity gains just from building some of these habits. But what we're seeing right now far just across the board is the faster the response is from the company, the pride that the employees have taken and really have even shared saying, you know, my company's offering all these services. They came, they, you know, we didn't have this before and now we do. And that loyalty and that commitment. There's a couple clients that I've seen do incredible work in this space. So perhaps they're offering a few mindfulness courses through us, but they are also looking into some of these niches within their company. So perhaps it's just a seminar just for working moms or it's a seminar Mm -hmm. for... So really finding these, um, I think, customized offerings 
to support different groups within your organization. It's not a one-size-fits-all. Some people will benefit more probably from an exercise class or whatever it is. But the business case definitely in terms of a COVID response is showing your employees you're there for them, you want to support their mental health, you care about reducing burnout, and you're going to just be figuring out as you go. I think some in the past companies would have put together... Uh, you can imagine at a big company or a law firm, um, yeah. you have a steering committee and then there's a wellness committee and everybody needs to talk and it's, it can become quite convoluted. You have a, a five-year plan. And if anything positive has come from this is just the ability for employers to notice how quickly they can support their employees. And of course, the cost effectiveness helps whenever you're doing any virtual programming. But I think that would be the, it's less of the bottom line and it's more about communicating to your employees that you're here to support them. Yeah. And it's interesting on this point of be, needing to be able to be flexible and adaptive. I often ask guests, you know, what's down the road? What's your plan? I understand that that can be really challenging right now to know because you as a company, I'm sure, need to be extremely flexible and be ready to see how things develop in a mindful way, but are there any things coming down the pike, you know, that, that you are working on that you're excited about that you might be able to share with us? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It has given us a window of opportunity to kind of step back to see if we are, especially if you consider how um, logistically challenging on-site can be, if we're able to do virtual now, then we really, the reach has just expanded. I would say we have two products or services that have been, they always would have been a part of the business, but this is kind of um, put them on the fast track. The first is what we call subscription corporate wellness. So that is working with employers to, we have a number of professionals um, on our team. So say a nutritionist, a yoga teacher, um, someone who may specialize in even financial advice, things mm-hmm. like that. So as I think a lot of companies are in a little bit of a scramble to support their team, virtual corporate wellness, we're able to just, you know, it's kind of hand that over to us. Um, we can plan out your next four or six months, whatever that response looks like. It's working with the talented facilitators we have on our team. And it just comes in as a subscription. So it's just that much easier to manage. Um, I do think there are some people who've been tasked with finding very quickly some sort of game plan for their team. So that is a response to that need. And then the other one would be now just really working with individuals. So again, something that was always on the game plan, but we're hoping now in the next about four weeks here to put out a course that individuals can take. We call it mindful manager. And so that doesn't have to be the CEO or the executive. It's anyone who works with other people. And so that has been an opportunity. Again, we have, the content existed and it's just given us this opportunity to put it all together. That's awesome. Yeah, I mean, we spent most of the time here talking about companies as a whole and uh, departments or teams. So I'm really glad uh, you let people know that you've got something coming up for individuals. Well, this is great, Kayla. I really enjoyed the conversation, learning about what you're doing. I'm so glad to know that you're out there doing this for people working and for companies and teams. It's really, really significant need out there. So thanks so much for being on the Technology for Mindfulness podcast. Thank you so much, Robert. Bye now. Bye-bye. Thanks so much for joining us for this episode of the Technology for Mindfulness podcast with me, Robert Plotkin, and today's guest, Kayla Kazan founder and CEO of Peak Wellness, corporate mindfulness training. You can find out more about Kayla at peakwellnessco.com. And I'll join you next time on the Technology for Mindfulness podcast with our next special guest. 
If you liked today's episode, please subscribe to our podcast and our YouTube channel and rate and review and share the episode with your friends. We'd really appreciate it. And don't forget to also check out our blog at technologyformindfulness.com to get free and practical tips for beating digital distraction and for being more focused, productive, creative, and happy with your technology. And right now, if you go to our webpage and sign up for our mailing list, you'll receive a free guide on how to manage your technology use and achieve balance with your tech.